looking this morning at Christ-centered worship. And uh, this letter was written by Paul to a church in Colossae. This is what he says. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. One of our values here in Hope Church is being Christ-centered, Christ-centered worshippers. It's not uh, primarily uh, about the songs that we sing, although that it includes that, but it's about how we live our lives, both corporately and individually. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but as you grow up, you have heroes, don't you? We're all looking for heroes, people that we can look to, that we can emulate. One of the things you realize as you grow older is that the people who are heroes to you in your younger years, the more you know about them, uh, in your mind they are this wonderful uh, uh, person who has ability. For me, someone like Ryan Giggs, uh, Welsh, left-winger, really skillful, really, uh, I looked up to him uh, when you read, uh, I read about him, it was all positive. And then suddenly, as you get to know more about the person, you suddenly realise this person that you've elevated to be up here is suddenly a lot smaller than you think. And you find out things about them, you think, well... Actually, that's not so great. It's disappointing. And so people that we look to as heroes, they get smaller. I want to say to you that I found someone who the closer I've got to him has got bigger and bigger and bigger. The more I get to know Jesus Christ, I find him to not disappoint. I find him to be far above and beyond anything I've ever imagined. And he has become my hero. And that's true for many of you here today. In order to unpack what this passage means, we're going to be looking, we're going to be thinking about this church in Colossae. It's modern-day Turkey. The church was probably only five or six years old when Paul wrote this letter. And most people believe that the church was started when Paul was preaching in a place called Ephesus. And uh, a Colossian guy uh, called Epaphras got saved, listened to Paul preach, talk about Jesus, became a Christian. And then he went back to Colossae and he told them about Jesus. And a church started. And it seems that Epaphras has come back, he's got back in contact with Paul, Paul's in prison, and he's telling Paul about what's happening in this young church in Colossae, and what he tells him so concerns Paul that Paul wants to write this letter. You see, it seems that false teachers have got into the church. 
And one of the results of what they're, uh, they're teaching is, is that it's starting to, in the people's eyes, it's starting to diminish Jesus. It's starting to make Jesus seem much smaller than he really is. And Paul writes this letter to correct that. He writes to tell them about the supremacy, the primacy, the glory of Jesus Christ. It should come as no surprise to us. You see, the big story of the Bible is that there's a devil who opposes God. And even though he's not God, he hates him. The devil will do all he can to cause people to turn their back on God's son, Jesus. I was reading a quote by John Calvin this week. It said this. There's nothing that Satan so endeavors to accomplish as to bring on mists with the view of obscuring Christ. The devil will do all he can to blind people to Jesus. There's a story in John chapter 9 where uh, uh, Jesus has healed a man born blind. And the Pharisees are trying to find out what's, been, uh, what's happened because it's happened on the Sabbath and it's broken their rules. And so they pull the guy in and they say, say to him, tell us what happened. And uh, he tells them their sto- his story and they're not satisfied. So they call his parents in and they say, was he really blind? And they say, yes, he's our son. He was born blind. We don't know what happened. You better talk to him yourself. So they call the guy back in and they say this to him. They say to this guy, worship God. We know Jesus is a sinner. Worship God, we know Jesus is a sinner. Worship God, but have nothing to do with Jesus. And yet the gospel message is this. You cannot worship God without coming through Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus willingly took our punish, the punishment for our sin, what the Bible calls our wrongdoing, our living without reference to God. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. The anger of God at our sin, our rebellion was dealt with once and for all and we could receive forgiveness. And the devil wants nothing more than to diminish Jesus in our eyes. He's quite happy for people to worship God if they have nothing to do with Jesus. Because the reality is they can't worship God without coming through Jesus Christ. The devil's delighted when people don't even think about God. But he's equally happy to encourage people to believe that all ways lead to God. And that it will be alright in the end. Anything but Christ. Even in churches, our emphasis can be wrong. We can focus on the need for miracles more than on the need for Christ. Knowing him is the greatest miracle. Sound teaching can be at the expense of experiencing Christ. How important is Jesus Christ to us? Sin so blinds us that we'll do anything rather than accept Jesus Christ as our personal saviour. When I was uh, doing a geography degree many years ago in Southampton, I remember reading an article, and the article was called Make a Date for the San Francisco Shake. 
And it was all about earthquakes. And I don't know if you've seen, but there's a new film out called San Andreas. And it's all about the San Andreas Fault that runs along the west coast of America. And it runs through cities like San Francisco and L.A. And the last great earthquake, the last big earthquake was in, I think it was in 1906. And it caught, the earthquake caused a fire, the great San Francisco fire that destroyed a lot of the city, killed a number of people. And all the geologists tell us that there is going to be another earthquake. There will be the big one that will do serious amounts of damage. It's not about when, it's, about, it's not about if it happens, it's about when it happens. It will happen. And yet the philosophy of people who live over the San Andreas Fault is this. They say we would rather live here for however long we've got than anywhere else. We'd rather live over this fault line than anywhere else. Eventually, there'll be a catastrophe. See, the truth is this. People would rather live without Christ, taking the risk that somehow it will be okay in the end, because they'd rather live this way without him. They're living over a fault line. One day there will be a shaking. This is what it says in Hebrews. This is what God makes a promise in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. There is going to be a day of shaking. You will find out what your foundations are like. It doesn't matter how well you build, how well they build over the San Andreas Fault. They can build the most earthquake-resistant buildings. But when it happens, no one knows where that building is going to stand. I want to say to you this morning, don't build your life over a fault line. Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation for our lives. Is our life Christ-centered? Is Jesus at the center of our lives? And I want to draw out a few things from this passage which explain why it's so important. And the first is this, Jesus is the only answer. When I was doing coastal uh, geography, coastal erosion, one of the things it talks about is longshore drift. And longshore drift is about how the waves hit the coastline and move, uh, uh, erode the coast and move shingle and sand down the coast. And that's why you have things like groins that try to stop the sand being swept down the coast. But one of the impacts of longshore drift is this, is that if you go out into the water and you're uh, uh, swimming or you're uh, uh, fooling around in the water, you can find, if you're not careful, you can find yourself moved down the coast without even realizing you've moved. And so if you're on a beach, on Bournemouth Beach, and there's lots of people there, you need to make sure that you've got a reference point for where you know uh, your family are or the people that you're with are. Otherwise, you will struggle to find them. I remember as a kid being moved down the coast without even realizing it, and then finding I'm hundreds of meters on a packed beach from my family, struggling to find them. You need a reference point. Paul here in this letter to Colossians, the Colossians, is giving us the only reference point we actually need. He simply and profoundly points out the supremacy of Jesus over anything and everyone else by virtue of who he is and what he has done. Why does how we respond to Jesus matter so much? 
Paul's clear that in Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. He is the image of the invisible God. The word image means, it's of the, it means of the same substance as the original. It's not like the original, it is of the original. Other New Testament writers pick up the same sentiment. They say things like this. John says this in 1 John 1. The one who existed from the beginning is the one we have heard and seen. In Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus himself said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven, crossed this cosmos to break into this sin-sick world to reveal the Father's heart to us, the Father's love to us. He became completely man, yet remained completely God at the same time. Paul goes on to say that he is the firstborn over creation, all creation. It doesn't mean that Jesus was the first created being. Later he says, he is before all things. Jesus has always existed. In the fourth century, uh, uh, Arius wrongly concluded that Jesus was a created being and it caused such a stir in the church that the church wrote the Nicene Creed affirming Jesus as eternally begotten of the Father. Firstborn refers to the significance of the first son to be born. Wisby says this, the term firstborn does not refer to time but to status. Jesus Christ was not the first being created, since he himself is the creator of all things. Firstborn simply means of first importance, of first rank. Jesus is of first importance. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That should stir us to worship. Everything was created by him, and for him. Does it stir us to worship? If it doesn't, our view of Jesus is too small. Jesus is the answer to every question. Jesus said, I am the way. Are you lost? Are you struggling? Do you not know where to go in life? Jesus is the answer. I am the way. You're struggling to find out what truth, what's right, what's wrong. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus is the answer. Are you wanting to find out what real life is? Jesus says, I am the life. Jesus is the answer to every question. He's the answer to every circumstance, every situation. He is the only way to God. He is both God and man And that should stir us to worship. It should stir us to pray. We come to one in heaven who is completely God, who can answer and deal with every situation, every circumstance. He always has an answer. 
And yet he's completely man, we're told. He understands what it is to live our lives, to know the the pressures we face. He's able to empathize with us in our weakness, to sympathize with us. So we know that we're told that we can come with confidence to a throne of grace in heaven. Jesus standing at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Jesus who understands us, who gets us. But Jesus who's able to deal with our circumstances. We can know that there's grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Are you in need this morning? Do you need? You need Jesus. Jesus needs to grow bigger in our sight. The second thing is this. Jesus holds everything together. In him, all things hold together, we're told in verse 17. He holds everything together in the universe. The word together means be compacted, compacted together. Within the nucleus of every atom... There is a force that holds it together. Within the universe, there is a force that holds the material world together. Paul makes it clear that this is God's Son who has imposed his will on creation. The universe is held together not by an idea or an equation, but by a person. Without Jesus, everything falls apart. The second law of thermodynamics says that in a closed universe, everything tends towards entropy or decay over time. When I drink coffee in the office, one of my not very nice traits is that I drink, I just drink it and I leave it, it goes cold and I will then keep drinking, I could drink it all day, a same cup all day. The problem is that sometimes the cup might have been there and I might forget and I'm in danger that that cup might have been there more than a day. You see that coffee tends, to, it goes off tends to decay. We live in a world that's like that. Paul tells us that creation needs to be liberated from its bondage to decay in Romans chapter 8. You see, when sin entered the universe, when Adam sinned in the garden, when Adam turned his back on God, the whole of creation was subject to a curse. Decay and brokenness entered our cosmos. Yet God, in his mercy, set in place a plan in motion, a plan to redeem men and women and his creation. And it will be finally accomplished when Jesus is restored to the center of all things. He's there, but there's going to, he's already there, but there's going to be a day when he is finally restored to the place that he should have. Douglas Moo says this, Our rescue from the dominion of darkness is certain and lasting because God accomplished it through none other than the one who is the Lord of the universe. If Jesus can sustain the universe, he can sustain us. We can be certain and secure that he will bring us from conversion to glory. Are you struggling your walk with God? Jesus will see you through if you keep him at the center. That's his promise. None shall pluck them out of my father's hand. If you keep him at the center of your life, whatever you feel, he will see you through.
Are you going through difficult times? He's the bright and morning star that shines in the midst of the darkness, we're told in Revelation 22. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. The one who made the stars, threw them into space, who holds them there by his very word, is more than able to look after us, whatever we're going through. Whether it's loneliness, depression, rejection, temptation, pressure of whatever kind. If we keep Jesus at the center, he will keep us from falling apart because he holds all things together. Listen to what he promises. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You need rest this morning? Come to him. He says, seek first his kingdom, God, his father's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Do you, are you struggling in your circumstances? Put God at the center. Put Jesus at the center. He goes on to say this in John chapter 15. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We can know joy whatever is going on. The joy of the Lord can be our strength. That's what it says in Nehemiah. Our worship of him, our worship of Jesus should be marked by love. Our love for him. Our commitment to him. Our love for other people. The people that he created. Our love for him. Our worship of him should be marked by obedience. Doing what he says. Thankfulness. Joy. Faith. We need to keep Jesus at the centre. He needs to be at the centre of our relationships. Our families. Our marriage, marriages. Our friendships. If Jesus is central. We will always be looking to hear what he says about situations and decisions. We'll always be wanting to react in a way that's pleasing to him. We'll always be looking to follow his great example to us. And that means we're going to put others' needs before our own because he laid down his life for us. We'll quickly put things right even when we think it's not our fault. There's a verse in Matthew where Jesus says, if you're offering your gift and remember that your brother has something against you, we take the initiative. If we know that someone is offended by us, we need to take the initiative. We need to be the one that goes to them. That's what Jesus would do. We need to be careful what we say. Jesus needs to be the center of our conversations. When we're sitting around the dinner table, when we've got friends around, Jesus needs to be the centre. He needs to be the centre of our living room when we're watching television. I tell you, if he's at the centre of our living room, there are lots of things that we perhaps wouldn't watch. You see, all of us have had or are currently in the midst of or will some point face relational battles, whether that be in our marriage whether that be with our children, with parents, family members, friends or neighbours, we need to keep Jesus at the centre because he holds all things together. He must be at the centre of the church here, Hope Church. Paul tells us he's the head of his body, the church. Everything we do is about him. Every part of church life 
is about him. Every person in the church, I want to encourage every person in the church to be dependent on Jesus for spiritual life. We all work together for him. We all need each other. Jesus and Jesus only is the head of his church. If he's at the center, he promises he will build his church. A few weeks ago, I was talking to one of the builders uh, from Amiri, the guys who are doing the building, overseeing the building works. And I was just chatting to him and saying to him, how's it going? And he said, actually, he said, he said, you've seen nothing yet. He said, there's nothing there at the moment. All the work has been below ground. And it was true, there was just, there'd been here months and, and nothing seemed to have happened. He said, in the next couple of weeks, he said, you will see it go up really quickly. He said, it's just going to shoot up. And of course, if you know, they're building it bit by bit off site and then craning it in. And uh, the shape of the structure of it is pretty much there. Literally weeks it's gone up. And I felt uh, in a time of worship, I felt God speak to me. I felt him speak really clearly to me. I felt him say to me this. He said, just as in the natural, so in the spiritual. In the natural, you've seen nothing, but it's going to go up quickly. So in the spiritual. Over these last years, you've been working on foundations. You've been talking about values. You've been talking about getting things right in the church. I felt God say, I'm about to do something that will go up really quickly. I'm going to do it. Jesus needs to be at the centre. He will build his church. He holds all things together. Finally, Jesus restores the broken. This is what it says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God reconciles all things to himself through Jesus. His blood brings us peace with God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says that the wonder of creation reminds everyone of the existence of God. No one can have an excuse. We're told in the Psalms our bodies have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of you will have seen this before, but I uh, was just reading about this week about a protein in our bodies called laminin. And its job is to hold and bind cells together. There's an image that's going to come up on the screen now. That is the image of the, uh, a, a protein called laminin in our bodies that binds our bodies together, whole cells together. How remarkable that even in our cells, God puts a stamp of the cross. It's just part of our body, it's just a cell. But God can't help but elevate his son, point to the cross. Draw our attention to the one who holds and restores the broken. The one who pulls things and holds things together. The Bible's crystal clear. We can only be reconciled to God and have peace with him through the sacrificial work of the cross. If you are far from God today, then you can draw near to him because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
If you want to have a relationship with the living God, maybe you've come here today and you feel far from God. We were hearing this morning in the worship about maybe you've come and you don't know Jesus as your person. You can know a Father in heaven who loves you as you come through the cross. It is Jesus who restores the broken to his Father. Paul says this, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Will you put your trust in him today? One of the cries of the Reformation was the solas, the five statements that underpin the Reformation. They were called solas. And the first one was solus Christus, which simply meant through Christ alone. Christ alone. There is no other way. Only Jesus Christ can save us. If you're here today and you know you don't know Jesus, only Jesus Christ can save you. Only Jesus. Through the cross. He can restore you, reconcile you to his Father in heaven. And yet there's more. If we're broken, if we feel that we're falling apart inside, if our relationships are fractured, there is an answer in Christ. He restores the broken through his work on the cross. The New Testament's full of examples. We read about Peter. Peter, someone who let Jesus down so badly, so badly, he called down curses on himself rather than acknowledge he knew him. And Jesus restores him, draws him back in. And and Peter, feeling he's blown it, written off, Jesus restores him back and he's part of Jesus' purposes for his church. We read about guys, a, a slave called Onesimus, who runs away from his slain, that slave owner, Philemon. And Onesimus runs away and he encounters Paul, and Paul tells him about Jesus. He tells him about the cross and the work of Christ, and Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. And then Paul sends him back to his owner. Philemon, and he writes a letter, and he, if you read the letter of Philemon, it's only a few verses, but he writes to Philemon, and he says, receive him back as a brother. He is now in Christ. And this fractured relationship is restored, remarkably restored, through the work of the cross. We read about a guy called John Mark who travels with Paul and Barnabas and he he lets them down and blows it and runs away. And we read about how later in life he is restored and he's fruitful and Paul says, uh, send Mark to me, he's really useful to me. This man who let him down is useful. God has a plan for your life. But it will only ever be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you feel that you've blown it, if you feel relationships are messed up, there are some things that can't be resolved. My relationship with my dad could never be resolved. My dad 
has been, has been dead many years. But I tell you, I have peace with God through the cross. God has done something in me through what Jesus, through, through Christ. In Jesus Christ, there is always hope. As we conclude this morning, we're going to break bread in a moment. It's going to be part of our response. This passage that we've read is almost certainly a hymn of praise. These few verses, they're probably a first century hymn, probably sort of like a creed that they would have read out when they gathered together. But the focus is Christ. And focusing on Jesus should always provoke us to worship. Jesus is the answer, whatever the question. Wherever you're at today, Jesus is the answer. Might not be the answer for your physics problems and your answer to your mathematical difficulties when you've, if you've got uh, exams, but he is the big answer to the questions in life. Jesus Christ is the answer. Let's keep him at the centre because he holds everything together. Let him be the centre of our relationships, of our marriages, of our friendships, of our church. Let Jesus be at the centre. And if things are broken, if you feel this morning, you feel fractured inside, know this, that at the cross there is restoration. Jesus restores the broken. Hallelujah. Our response must be lives, relationships, a church and communities full of Christ-centered worship. Christ-centered people worship him. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, as Christians we should be people who have one idea, one desire, one motive, and that is to live to his praise who has died for them and opened the gateway of heaven to them. That is what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to ask the musicians to come out. We're going to respond to God in a moment. We're going to break bread together. What better way is there to, as we close talking about Christ-centered worship, than to remember what Jesus has done on the cross. The bread reminds us of his body broken for us, his body broken on a cross, that we might be reconciled to a holy God. His blood reminds us that there's forgiveness. Ruth had a, a little word. Where's, where's Ruth? Yeah, there's some more great news here. Jesus said, there's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. Nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. That's fabulous. You know, that's true. Nothing. You may feel I've really blown it. Nothing can't be forgiven. We're going to take bread and wine in a moment. And then we're going to sing as we finish and maybe the band can play quietly in the, the background as we 
take bread and wine. Maybe the stewards will come and get it ready. I'm going to pray. And I'm, I, want you, I want you, as you take the bread and wine, just lift your eyes as we were encouraged to in the worship. Look to him who's seated at the right hand. If you feel broken, he's the one that can mend you on the inside. He's the one that can put together relationships that are broken. If both partners, both uh, sides put Christ first, there's hope. He's the one in whom all things hold together. He's the one that holds things together. Let's put him at the centre. Maybe this morning you've come and you don't know Jesus Christ. You can do that today. I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus and you would, you would love to give your life to him, right? You can do it. I want you to come and take bread and wine. I want you, as you take the bread, to say, Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I put my trust in you. And as you drink the wine, you say, Lord Jesus, thank you that your blood was shed for me. And I have forgiven for everything. Everything. Forgiven everything. That can be yours today. You can come to Christ right now as we break bread. And if that's you, I want you to do it. If you don't feel you're ready to do that, you're not a Christian, you're not ready to do that, just let the bread, just stay where you are and just meditate. But there's a moment here for us to respond to him. So I'm going to, let's... Just stand together and then we're all going to come out. Maybe you want to do this in couples or put Christ at the centre of your marriage or your family. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to come forward, take bread and wine. And then we'll finish with a song in a moment. Lord, we say you are our everything. We lift our eyes at this moment. We lift up our eyes from our circumstances and we look to one who is standing at the right hand of the Father in heaven, one who is the answer for all our needs. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you are the answer. There's no one outside you. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, you're the one who holds everything together. We want to put you, Lord Jesus, at the centre of our lives. We want to put you at the centre of our church, you at the centre of our homes, you at the centre of our relationships. Jesus, be the centre. As we break bread, Lord Jesus, we remember that your body was broken for us, your blood was shed, that we might be reconciled to God. The broken might be restored. Jesus, we thank you for your great sacrifice on our behalf. We worship you. Jesus, we are Christ-centred worshippers we honour you